many people are going to want to do so many things for you. They're going to want to come and clean your house. Let them. So you can see my house. They're going to want to go and buy your groceries. Let them. They're going to want to come and get you and take you places. Let them. She said, that's not my gift. That's not what I do. What I do give to you and what I offer to you is my heart and for you to know that I will be a prayer warrior for your family. And even today, this morning, I got a text from her. Every, nearly every morning since Joshua's run ahead to heaven, she has texted me something very specific, what she's praying for. And that's been such a gift. When someone prays for us, when someone takes us to the throne and lays us at our Father's feet and pleads on our behalf, it's such a beautiful, beautiful gift. Thank you for that prayer. I was a little nervous going home last night for two reasons. One, it was snowing, and I was afraid today was going to get canceled. (laughs) Then I remembered I was in Alaska. (laughs) If today were a school day in Arkansas, y'all, we wouldn't be having school. (laughs) And then I was really afraid you wouldn't come back. (laughs) And look, here you are. I am so humbled and so overwhelmed that after all that discouragement last night, you still came back today. So we're going to get into good stuff today. We're going to get into some really good stuff. Also, they brought me a clock. (laughs) And it's very large. (laughs) Which is great, because what you guys didn't know was going on up here last night, my dad is, is in San Antonio, and he was watching, and when I said, there's a scripture, and I don't remember what it was, my phone flashes up, and he gives it to me. Like, don't text me while I'm speaking. So, no phone, Dad, don't text me today. Uh, I want to read a passage as we, get, as we get started today in 2 Corinthians. Going the wrong way. I love this passage so much. We're going to read 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5. I love to hear those pages flip. I'm going to be very honest with you, and this is no, please, no, this is not a judgment at all. Um, I love my paper Bible. I have two up here. <laughs> um, I love the paper flipping. I love to touch the paper. Uh, and so you know, that was just a a stall while you guys were flipping pages. All right, we're going to start in verse 3. For though we live in the world, and we talked about that last night, we are citizens in a foreign world. Though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We're going to dive into that as we talk today. The day that God created us, the day that he made us, he knew. He knew how long it would be before, before Eve sinned. He knew how long it would be before Adam sinned. He knew that we weren't going to get to walk with him in the cool of the day in the Garden of Eden. He knew he was creating a very imperfect humanity. So he equipped us. He gave us everything that we need. In Genesis one thirty one, it says God saw that all he had made, and it was very good. And that is not the end of the story. Like, God did not create us on that day, slap his hands together and say, Woo, I did a great job. I think I'm going to take a vacation. May the odds be ever in your favor. 
Like, he didn't do that to us. He's giving us everything that we need to get back to him, even though we have walked away from him. We have this beautiful letter. We've been created to, to work in such a way that we can follow all of the scriptures in, in this beautiful letter that he's given us, which brings us to Philippians 4, 8, and 9. Think on these things. Think on these things that are true and noble and pure and lovely and admirable and respectable and praiseworthy. Why? Why do we need to think on these things? Does it really matter what I think on? Does it really matter what thoughts I put into my head? It does. Let's look at this word. Some, some translations use the word dwell, dwell on these things instead of think on these things. And I like that word dwell. To sometimes think can seem very passive, like, oh, I thought about it going on to my next task. But dwell is to sit in it. You know, like, there are days that my husband and I sit in our grief we we mark it on the calendar like we plan for it we know that on joshua's birthday we're staying in our pajamas till noon we know that we're going to wrap a blanket of sadness around us and we're going to spend the morning being sad because we are we miss him and we know that about noon one of us is going to say okay that's enough moping for today that would not bring joshua joy what are we going to do and we we know what we will do after that we need to dwell. Like We need to put it on a calendar. We need to mark it. We need to plan for it. And we need to sit in God's word. We need to let it soak us. We need to let it just wash over us. And we need to think about what he says to us and why. The word um, dwell, the, the original Greek word, which again I can't say, means to reckon or to take into account, to consider, to weigh, to meditate on. It deals in reality. Like it, it, it really deals in what's fact, not in what is supposition or opinions. It's the same word that's used in Philippians 3.13, I do not regard myself. I don't think of myself. It's the same word in 1 Corinthians 13.5, love thinketh no evil. Love doesn't dwell in evil. It's the same in, in Romans 8.18, for I reckon, it's that, that same Greek word, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time, we're supposed to dwell on the things that are pure and lovely and noble and right. How do we do that? God will even give us that. Like, he'll tell us how to do those things. Um, Romans 12, 5 tells us to think on whatever is true. Or, I'm sorry, not Romans 12, 5. When we think on whatever is true, Romans 1, 25 tells us that God's truth is what is true. Whatever is noble. I don't, I don't know what it's like up here, but down in the lower 48. Watch her. Down in the lower 48. We are not bombarded with truth. We are bombarded with sad and evil and horrible things that, every, that happen every day. The one bright spot on the radio is that they have a positive, different story of the day. The news doesn't do that. If you turn on the news, all you're going to hear is, is how many people have been killed and all the people that have died and all the accidents. Like It's all very negative stuff. We're, all, we're bombarded with so many things that are not noble. This word noble in Philippians 4.8 is the same word that's used in 1 Timothy 3.8. Uh, in verse 11 where it talks about deacons and their wives are to be worthy of respect. It's also the word used in Titus 2.2 where it talks about the older men are to be worthy 
of respect. The original word is translated honorable, deeply respected. He tells us to think on whatever is right, whatever is morally good, divine laws, faultless, not perfect. God doesn't call us to perfection, but what he wants is someone whose way of thinking and feeling and acting is wholly conformed to his will. Joseph was called just in Matthew 119. Jesus was called just by Pilate's wife. She says, I don't want to have anything to do with what you're doing. This man is just. Romans 117 tells us that we're to live, that the just live by faith. James 5.16, the prayer of the righteous or the just availeth much. 1 Peter 3.12, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. All of these are the same original word. We're supposed to think on whatever is pure, immaculate, clean, innocent. Titus 2.5, wives are called to be chaste and pure. In James 3.17, wisdom from above is pure. And 1 John 3.3 says that our hope in him purifies us. The last two words, though, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, this is the only passage in Scripture where these two words appear. It's it. It's a rare word. The, the original word for lovely never appears in the New Testament in another space. The word for admirable, it never appears. That deserving, things that are deserving of respect. You guys see a lot of things that are lovely. You have those beautiful mountains. I mean, think about God's creation and the loveliness of, of all the... Th- we don't have those beautiful mountains. We have molehills that we call mountains. We don't have mountains. What happens when we don't think on these things? And we read that last night in Romans 1.18. God will give us over to the impurities of our heart, and that is that scares me. It really scares me. But we don't have to fight without weapons. Isaiah 54.17. You know, I, I love this passage. It's taken out of context a lot. We're going to address that briefly. No weapon that is formed against you will stand. Now, originally, when, when, um, when the prophet was, was delivering this message, it was God's promise to Jerusalem, right? It was his promise to Jerusalem. We apply it today. I think it's okay, as long as we understand the context that we need to apply it in. We just have to be careful. A lot of people will use this passage to, to claim that no harm is going to come to anyone. First, it says, no weapon is formed against you that will prosper. So what that means is there will be weapons formed. There will be attacks. The part about not prospering is the part I think we take out of context. We're going we're gonna to suffer here, but our eternity can't be taken from us. We can give it up. We can choose to walk away from God. Satan can attack us, he can attack us, and he can attack us, but he can't take our salvation from us. He doesn't have that authority. Do you know why in Matthew, when when Jesus was in the desert, and and Satan invited him to jump? It's because he didn't have the authority to push him. He can't push us. He can try. He can come at us. He can tempt us. He can make make us think that something else is better, but he cannot push us. We have been delivered through the blood of Jesus. So let's look at a couple of truths, a couple of things. I need us to agree on these things before we move on into what we're going to talk about. 
God created me, God created you, right? He knows us inside and out, right? Okay? He probably knows me better than I know myself. Right? This is his word. Everything in here is true. Our society today wants to tell us that it's antiquated. That was written 2,000 years ago. We have changed. Maybe we have, but God hasn't. So do we agree that all of this is true and that it's applicable to our lives? And God gave it to us for a reason, right? God knows what we need. He tells us, so we should be spending time in his word. What are the weapons that we're equipped with? Because if all of that's true, then we have weapons to demolish strongholds. What are those weapons? We're going to talk about two today. I love the armor of God. We are not going to do a deep dive into the armor of God. I'm sure that you guys know a lot about the armor of God. It's one of my favorite things ever. However, we are all going to stand and we are going to physically put on the armor of God. I don't know if you've ever done that or not. It's awkward. And we're going to do it anyway. Because we need to armor up. Like God has given us this ability to put on his armor and to walk out into the world. So, everybody up. You need to stretch anyway after that big breakfast. All right. You have to do the motions too. You ready? I put on the belt of truth. I shod my feet with the gospel of peace. Oh, you're not repeating after me. We'll do that one again. I shod my feet with the gospel of peace. Good. I put on the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation. I take up the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit. Okay. Think about what you just did. Where are you protected? Except. I was not designed to flee. You were not designed to run. You were designed to stand firm in God's armor. Not your own. We don't have that. We do not have it without him. When he says stand firm in the faith, when he says stand firm and and don't flee, it's because he's equipped us. He's prepared us for that. Okay, now that you feel totally awkward, you can sit down. But thank you for doing that. The belt of truth, right? Okay. The belt of truth that is talked about in Ephesians is the same, is the same word for truth that's mentioned in Philippians 4, 8. This belt that the Roman soldiers wore was very important. It held things. It held knives. It held the supplies that they needed. And if it wasn't securely fastened, it could go askew. Do y'all use that word up here, askew? I love that word. Like, it could, it could fall askew, and it could cost him his life. Because he could reach for a, a sword that had been that had shifted because his belt wasn't securely fastened, or it, he could lose things. Not only do we have to be sure that our belt is securely fastened, we have to help our sisters. And if I see that my sister's belt has gone a little crooked, I'm called to help with that, not judge, not criticize, but to help and support. And we do that by pointing people back to Jesus. The second weapon, oh, this is where I get very, very excited and we have to watch the time. The second weapon is this organ that's right here between 
our ears, our brain. I know just enough science to get us in trouble today. Just enough. There are so many people that think our brains control us. They don't. Our brain is an organ just like our hand. Our mind controls the brain. Just as the mind tells me to pick up that chocolate cake and eat it, right? Just as the, just as the mind tells me to walk right on over there where that ice cream is, the mind tells my brain what to do. It controls my arms and my kidneys. My brain is controlled by the mind. What does that mean? So I used to be able to say, are you spending too much time on Snap Facebook? Snapchat, Facebook, Instagram, right? I got them all in there. But now we got TikTok, Be Real, and Chat GPT, and y'all, I can't keep up. I don't even know how to get all that in there. When we spend too much time in social media, garbage in, garbage out. And even the creators of social media, I don't know if you know this or not, but the creators of social media, they don't allow their children to have social media because they're beginning to understand the dangers of it. There's a documentary called The Social Dilemma, 10 out of 10 recommend. They believed when they created it that it was a great thing, like their intent was good, their intent was to spread love and joy, but what they didn't know is that every time you hit like, and somebody goes and sees that they have 400 likes on something, it releases this chemical in your brain, and it's a very addictive chemical. And it makes you want more and more and more. And now we're not satisfied until every friend that we have has clicked that like button or made a comment. Okay? So there's so much social anxiety and depression. There's so much stress that comes from social media. The brain generates, one brain, one brain generates more electricity, more energy in one day than every cell phone on the planet. We have a small but mighty tool in our arsenal. Are we using it to the full full potential? Scientists and Navy SEALs would tell us no. I love to study Navy SEALs uh, because their their brains do not work like our brains, and I love to, to better understand what their thoughts are. Have you heard the term neuroplasticity? Okay. So you guys, so neuroplasticity is the 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 way that it's 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 malleable like our brain is is malleable it can change we can change our brains that's the kind of power we have some of you may be sitting there and you're like oh I knew all this like well I didn't and now I do and I have to tell everybody the brain is moldable it's malleable it's adaptable it changes minute by minute based on what we put in why is that important think on these things right so we have proteins our brain is made up of proteins and when we think negative thoughts whether about ourselves or others or when we're discouraged or depressed they harden and our brain becomes less malleable less able to change shape and mold but when we put positive thoughts in those proteins become softer and our brain changes changes the whole landscape of our brain. There are incredible studies out there about people who have faith overcome illnesses faster. Not because they think they might get well on this earth, but because what are our options? We're either going to get well and keep serving God or we're going to die and go to heaven. How's either one of those bad? Both of those options are great. Is this why God told us in Romans 12 too, do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed? by the renewing of your mind. 
we renew our minds and our brains are literally transformed. I am not downplaying anything you're facing. Please don't misunderstand that. Like, I am not saying that whatever hardship you're going through is not hard. And in a lot of parents that, that have lost a child, people will say, well, I've never been through anything that hard, and, and somebody's always got it harder than me. It may be true, and yet what you're going through is hard because it's your hard. So don't misunderstand. This is not like a, a magic wand. I'm not Cinderella, and I'm not telling you that, that you're going to think on these things and life is going to be perfect. No, your perspective will shift. Now we're back to Philippians 4, 8, and 9. I can't do that on my own, but I'm equipped to do it with God. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, think on these things. Whatever we tell ourselves is what we believe. I went home um, one day and I was putting laundry away and our daughter's door closed and there were these horrible things written behind her door in pencil on the wall. They were so horrible and negative, I, I can't even say them out loud. And I just, I wept. And when she came home, I said, do you believe these things about you? Why have you written these on the wall behind your door? And she said, oh, Mom, I just don't want to be those things. And I said, well, then that's not what we're going to focus on. We're going to focus on what we are. So we cleaned the wall, right? And my husband and I cut out paper construction hearts, and we started putting God's truths onto those pieces of paper. And every morning we would tape a new one to her door, because we needed her to hear who God says she was and not who society says that she was. Because it just crushed my heart to think that my daughter would think those things about herself. Her demeanor changed. She'd wake up in the morning and, and I noticed one day the first thing that she did was check the door to see if there was something new there. We were, we were designed to think on who God defines us as, not who we define ourselves as if we fill our minds with God's truth that's what our brain will focus on it will focus on that instead of the lies that Satan tells us I have to really super duper hurry y'all I have two pages left okay so how do we do that <laughs> and the problem is I don't just read it I elaborate on it so how do we renew our minds we have to put his truth in here and not our own truth I want to introduce you to a man named Admiral Stockdale has anybody heard of Admiral Stockdale okay nobody else yes y'all Admiral Stockdale I don't know very much about his faith but Admiral Stockdale is the highest ranking military member to be to be held captive as a prisoner of war as a POW and he called it the Hanoi Hilton Hanoi is a town a place in Vietnam and a Hilton is a hotel right okay so you can imagine that being held as a POW did not resemble the Hilton but that's what he called it he was held captive for eight years in Vietnam, he created a system whereby he could communicate with his, the other soldiers that were there under his command, even when they weren't allowed to talk. Eight years, he had been tortured. He was able to smuggle um, code into letters that he sent to his wife to get information back to the United States. Fascinating story, if you ever want to look him up, Admiral Stockdale. When he was was he when he was released, he was interviewed. Um, probably by a ton of people. I read about him in a book by Jim Collins, I think. 
or John Maxwell, I don't remember. What he said was, I never lost faith in the end of the story. I never doubted not only that I would get out, but also that I would prevail in the end and turn the experience into the defining event of my life, which in retrospect I would not trade. This is a very important lesson. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you cannot afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever that might be. Let's unpack this. We cannot confuse faith with the outcome. Like we can't doubt what will happen. What do we know will happen? We know that we will be called home one day, right? However, we also have to face whatever our brutal reality is. Be that chronic illness, persecution, insecurities, grief, financial ruin, loss of relationships, estrangement, whatever is our current reality, we have to tackle it head on knowing the outcome. And we know that outcome. They used to talk about the the hope of heaven, the hope of heaven. I can't talk about the hope. I talk about the promise. Heaven is a promise. It is not this, oh, it might be, maybe some one of these days I'm going to heaven. God said it. That makes it so. Our current reality is a journey of grief. It is. There is never a day that I do not think about Joshua. There is never a day that I do not wish he were still here, especially right now when he would have been an uncle. You know? Oh, I'd love for Grayson to know his uncle Joshua. That is my brutal reality. I also know the end. I walk it. have to walk it every day. I don't walk it alone, and I don't walk it ill-equipped. Right? Because I'm, I'm armored up. Because I've got this small but mighty tool God's truth's in strength, right? Um, See, I've gotten off track again. Who didn't come home from Vietnam with, with Admiral Stockdale? Most of his soldiers didn't come home because they were optimists. We're going to be out by Christmas. Christmas came and went. They were still there. We're going to be out by Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day came and went. They were still there. We'll be out by Easter. Easter came and went. Eight years. They didn't make it. They lost faith in the outcome because they kept putting their own deadline to it. It's not my deadline, it's God's deadline. God knows, God knows where the orchestra of my life ends on this earth. He knows where yours ends. We don't know, it's not a date we can put on the calendar and strive towards. We just have to get up every day and not waste this runway that we've been given. Yesterday we talked about... um, our citizenship being in heaven. The very next phrase says, from which we also eagerly await our Savior. We're waiting for something that we can't see that's going to get here at a time that we're not allowed to know. So do we just sit around and do nothing? No. My husband and I are part of a group for specifically for parents who have lost children. 
It's called While We're Waiting. It's been, it was established in, in Hot Springs, Arkansas for, by two parents, one who lost a child, a 17-year-old, to a brain tumor, and one whose son was a, a SEAL Team 6 member and was killed in action in Afghanistan, and they created this group. And they based it on Romans 8.25 that says, but if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. And that's where While We're Waiting came from. And their consultant said to them, you need to change the name of your group. It sounds like you're a bunch of people reared back in your recliners just twiddling their thumbs. And nothing could be further from the truth. The whole premise behind what they do is how do we live well while we wait? How do we serve while we wait for a day that we know is coming? For something we know that is going to be incredible? How do we how do we live well? How do we serve? How do we support one another? How do we encourage one another? They are they are doing all of that and more. I, I would dare say it's one of the single most things that helped my husband and I when Joshua ran ahead to heaven. If we keep going in, in verse Philippians one ten, it says so that you may approve the things that are excellent. We have to continually examine the things that are worthy to be examined. The result is of that is that we're filled with the fruit of righteousness. What happens when a tree bears fruit? People benefit. People are fed. When we're filled with the fruit of righteousness, who benefits from that? Not just us, but the community that sees what we do. The community that gets a peek at those people who are so joyful how is that? Life is hard. I don't, do you know any single person who's not going through something right now? I don't. Everybody I know is dealing with something that's hard. It's a constant, a continual examination of the truth. I don't know what your current reality is. I don't, if, if Paul were to have written the letter to the Anchorage Church of Christ, I don't know what it would have said. I do know that we're not called to perfection, and I'm so grateful for that because I would fall short of that every single minute of every single day. But like Paul, I can choose to forget what is behind, and man, the things that he forgot. He, he refers to himself as the chiefest of sinners, but he didn't wallow in it. He just pressed forward. He forgot both the successes and the failures, and he pressed on. He relentlessly pursued. I love that word, relentless. He relentlessly pursued that goal, the prize. And we can do it, not on our own strength, but from the strength that comes from the one who saved us. It's our la- I'm a word nerd. Y'all need to know that. It's probably because I speak two languages, three if you count sarcasm. I love words, and it was through the study of words that I began to understand that sometimes we don't have the right word for something. Like in Spanish, there are two words to hear. One is the physical act of hearing. The other is the heed. Not only do I hear you, I'm going to heed what you're telling me. So that's what I love about words. So this word in Philippians 4.13 that says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. That word strength is the same word that is used to describe Paul's spiritual strength in Acts 
9.22, where he was strengthened spiritually. It's also the word that was used to talk about Samson's physical strength in Hebrews. So now we've got Samson's physical strength equated with Paul's spiritual strength, and we're told we have access to this same strength? Y'all, we can't quit. We're equipped. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. What a blessing to know that you've given us everything we need. God, you knew that this life would be hard, and yet you didn't shy away from lavishing us with all the tools that we needed. God, your armor that protects us, that feeds our minds, our, our own minds, God, that we can renew every single day. It doesn't matter that if all I've thought about myself up until today is negative, God, I can change that right now. You're so good to us. Father, thank you for giving us this strength that we can't even comprehend, and yet you make it available to us. Father, you know that going to war is hard. You know that facing Satan is hard. And God, you don't ask us to do it alone, and I'm so grateful to you for giving us everything that we need to fight. God, please help us to fight well for you. Help us to fight in a way that you receive all the honor and glory. We don't want any of it, God. All we want to do is point other people back to you. This is not our home, God. We long for the day that you call us to heaven, that you fulfill that promise that you've said in Scripture. Father, thank you. It seems so inadequate, but thank you. Father, please hear our hearts. Hear our hearts and how overwhelmed we are by the love that you have for us, by how overwhelmed and humbled we are by the gifts that you have given us. We're so grateful, God, and so unworthy. Father, we we give you our day, we give you our talents, we give you every minute of our life, Father. May we use it all. May we may we slide into heaven, Father, beaten and, and dented, paint chipping, God, used up, leaving everything here for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.